How are we doing, Reckless? That was a little bit better. How's school going so far? You guys having fun? You loving it? <laughs> How about your small group? You guys have a good small group tonight? All right. It's good that wasn't the other way around. That's good. So you guys enjoying your small group. We're glad you guys are here tonight with us. And uh, maybe it's your first time that you've ever stepped foot in Reckless or first time you've been back in a little while. And uh, so we are tonight finishing up a series that we thought was important enough that we started the year off with it. That this is a big deal that we are trying to clearly set the vision for where we want to go this year and what we want to be, what we want to be known for, and, um, and what we want Reckless to represent to people. And so that's what we've been doing. And tonight we're going to finish it up. But over the last three weeks, we've been starting to define that a little bit. Starting to say, all right, here's some of the things that we want to be known for. And so I'm going to jump down in, into the crowd. I'm going to come amongst the people. And I want to know, I got some, uh, I don't know what I got. I got some, little, some Chick-fil-A goodness. It's always good if I'm bribing you for the right Bible answer. So, uh, so three weeks ago, all right, we talked about the first thing that we want to be known for. Who can remember? Well done, Jeremy. Well done. Hope you like frosted lemonades. If not, give it to somebody else. So we, we say the first thing, we're forgiven, right? We are forgiven and we want to be people whose great sin has been forgiven by a great Savior. That's what we, what we want to be known for. That is the foundation of who we are. That impacts everything else of knowing that we weren't good enough. We didn't earn anything from God. But God stepped into our place. He took on our sin and he forgave us because he's a great savior. And so that's what we talked about the first week. Then two weeks ago, we said the second thing we want to be known for is what? Somebody over here. Come on, freshmen. Anybody taking notes? Anybody among the freshmen taking notes? No? All right. Just flat out. Nope. What do we got? Love. Well done. Well done. It's Micah, ain't it? Yeah, how about that? How about that? So we said the second thing is how well we love. That we want to be people who are known for our love for God and our love for others. Right? That our love for, first and foremost, God, that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what we want to be known for. And then last week, and you guys, this should be easy because you just talked about in your small groups. Let me go over here. Anybody over here? What was the third thing we talked about? The thing we talked about last week? <laughs> I love how you started out all confident. You're like... <laughs> huh? We should love God more than we Okay, that's, that's good. Not quite it, what I'm looking for. What was the word we talked about last week? Oh, look at this. Way back there. So if you can catch this, you get Chick-fil-A coffee or an iced coffee from Chick-fil-A. Good reflexes. So we talked about last week about believe, right? That what we believe matters. We've got to be confident in knowing what we believe. And so we said that we are going to be people who firmly believe that Jesus is the hope of the world and that the Bible is the truth that guides us, Right? Got that? You wrote that down somewhere? If not, it's on the screen. Or No, actually, no, it's not. It should be on the screen. 
So those are the three things we talked about over the last three weeks. But we got one more. There's, there's one thing that we're still missing. In order for us to really make an impact, in order for us to really live differently, this last ingredient is really important. Otherwise, it really honestly messes everything else up. And we can't really live out the way that God has called us to live. So it reminds me of a little story. All right, so here we go. So uh, when Angie and I were first married, we, I thought one, it was our anniversary, this before kids, so it was like our second or third anniversary. And I thought, hey, I'm gonna make dinner for my wife for our anniversary. I can't cook worth crap, all right? But I thought, no, I can do this anniversary. I'm not gonna take her out to eat, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make her dinner. She's gonna fall in love with me all over again. And so I went on the internet and I found a recipe that I thought, all right, I'm stupid, but I can, I can do this. And it was called lemon chicken pasta. And I thought, all right, that's easy enough. I can, there's very few ingredients. There, who could mess this up? So, so Angie comes home from, from work and I'm like, hey, sweetie, here's your flowers and happy anniversary. And hey, by the way, I'm making dinner for us. And so she sat down at the table and I got her plate and sat it down in front of her. And then I got my plate and sat it down in front of me. And then we sat down and she, she put her fork in it and she lifted it up and the entire block of pasta lifted off with her fork. And she kind of looked and I was like, starting to get a little bit nervous, like, oh crap, this is not a good thing. And so she, you know, broke it up and <laughs> she took a bite of it and I'm watching her face and she's like, and she said, what did, what did you say this was again? And I was like, it's lemon chicken pasta. And she looks down at her plate and she says, where's the chicken? And I thought for a minute, I went, crap, I left the chicken. It's still in the, in the refrigerator. I never actually put it in the, in the food. Sorry, sweetie. So now it's just lemon pasta. And so she's eating it again and she's trying to be real nice. You know, you know she's trying not to like completely make me look like a fool. I'm doing enough on my own. And so she takes another bite and then she goes, it, it just tastes kind of bland. Like there, there's, no, there's no flavor to it. So then I take a bite of it and I'm like, what the heck is this? And so then all of a sudden it dawns on me that I left the lemon butter in the microwave and never actually put it on the pasta. So I'm like, hold up. So I walk over there and I grab it out of the microwave and I just like pour it all over her plate and pour it all over mine. And so what was supposed to be lemon chicken pasta just turned into pasta that was just a brick. And so needless to say, we've gone out to eat every other anniversary since then. And, um, and she's thankful for it and does not complain at all. I'm pathetic when it comes to cooking, okay? So any good cook knows, and I'm not one of them, but even I know, that if you don't have all the ingredients together, it's not gonna taste like what you want it to taste like. And so the same is true when it comes to what we're talking about. That we can know who we love and we can know what we believe, but if we're missing this other ingredient, then it can mess the whole thing up. Have you guys ever you guys ever been called things like a hypocrite? You ever been called fake? You ever been called a fraud? Don't start pointing at people. 
So listen, why is it that people use words like that? Whether they're directed at us or whether they're directed at somebody else. Why is it that people use terms like that? Because how we live doesn't back up what we say. There's a disconnect between the words that we speak and the actions that we take. See, it all comes down to if we're going to, if we're going to love people, if we're going to believe the right things, it doesn't matter if we don't also watch the way that we live. See, for us as Christians, for those of us that claim that we're followers of Jesus, it's not just enough to know what we believe and to know who we love. It also matters how we live, that we actually live it out. So how we live should always be a reflection of who we love and what we believe. Let me say that again. How we live should always be a reflection of who we love and what we believe. You've got, in order for us to really accomplish the things that God wants, in order for us to be the people that God has called us to be, for reckless to mean something powerful, for us to impact people, it also matters the way that you and I live. It matters how you and I live. And when, it's, when we don't watch the way that we live, that's when we find terms like fake and fraud and hypocrite get tossed out. So when we talk about how we live, what that means is, is that you and I find opportunities every single day to live out our love for Jesus and our belief in him. It can't be and isn't just a Wednesday night thing. It isn't just when our favorite worship song comes on. It isn't a switch that we flip on and off and we decide, hey, today I'm going to live it out, but maybe tomorrow I won't. How we live on a consistent basis, day in and day out, should be a reflection of our love for God and our belief about who he is. When it comes down to it, it's gotta be a way of life. And it is a way of life that impacts every single thing that we do in every area of our life. Now, let me give you an example of how this looks. So this is, this is a toolbox, all right? You guys are not stupid. You can see that. So I want you to en- envision for just a minute, all right? Here's the visual. This toolbox represents our life, all right? This represents our life. And in this toolbox, here's what, what most of us do, if not all of us. We're really good at compartmentalizing our life. So what that means is we break it down into specific areas, And we've got all these different areas of our life, these things that that matter to us, these things that are important, these things that are priorities in our life, and they make up, all these little sections make up our life. And so we've got all kinds of sections in there. We've We've got money. Money's a big deal, especially if you don't have it, right? We want money, so maybe you've got a job, or maybe you wish you had a job, and you're thinking, man, I've got to save for 
to pay for car insurance, or I've got to save to pay for this, or I've got to have money to eat today, or whatever the case may be. And so money's a big deal. Money's important to us. And that is something that we think about. That's a part of our life. We've got sports. All right, maybe you play football with something a little bigger than this. Or maybe you're into basketball or you play tennis or you're in the marching band or you're in chorus or whatever, fill in the blank, whatever that thing is that you do at school as an extracurricular activity that you compete in, you want to be the best that you can, you, that's, a, that's a big deal. That's an important thing to us. And sometimes our calendar in a lot of ways feels like it's loaded up with stuff like this. So this is a part of our life. We've got... Social media is a part of our life, right? Or our phone. You like that? This is a real phone, by the way. Trust me, I can call you. So we've got, we've got our social media life, right? That's a section where, you know, the things that we post out there, the pictures that we take, the videos we send to people, even the stuff that, that maybe most people don't know about, that's a section of our life. That's, a, that's something that matters a whole lot, all right? And we know that like when your small group is like, hey, put your phone away. And then you like go bananas and jump down their throat because this is a big deal. Mom takes, mom wants to ground you because you've done something. What's she doing? She's probably taking this away from you or one that actually works. So this is, this is a part of our life. This is a big deal. We've got all these different sections in our life. We've got school. We love school. School is important, right? Books and studying and we, what we're going to do with the rest of our life and what college we're going to go to. That's a big deal. We, we've got relationships. That girl or that guy that we really love or into, you know, hey, I love you. I love you more. Hey, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Let's go together. Let's make out. Let's kiss. Let's get married. Nah. Whatever. So that relationship that you're in, right? Whether it's with a fairy princess or it's with a commando guy. And maybe you're not into relationships. So maybe it's just, maybe it's just hookups. Maybe it's just those kind of things. And maybe you don't feel like anybody knows about that, but that is a part of your life. That is something that matters to you. That's something that's a big deal. We've got music. We're into music, what we listen to. We think, ah, it doesn't really matter the things I listen to. I'm, I'm big into music, whatever. And then we've also got Jesus. Jesus has got a part of our life as well, right? And he's, he's got karate chop arms, and he's on wheels and he can sometimes save the day and he matters to us. He's even matters quite a bit because we've got a bigger, he's a, he's a bigger part of our life than maybe some of these other things. And so what we do is Jesus is a part of our life and football is a part of our life and money and relationships and social media and music and on and on and on. And all of those things comprise our life. And this is the way that we view our life. But here's what happens, and here's why, where this gets dangerous. What happens is we can pull Jesus out when we want him. When we're at church, when we're at FCA on Friday morning, when we're, you know, we post that verse, you know, on, on a tweet that goes out or whatever. There are certain things in our life where we think about, and, and Jesus is a big deal. But here's the thing. We also, when we're not, when we don't really need Jesus, we also feel like we've got the luxury of putting him back in his section in our life and putting him away. And we say, hey, Jesus, man, when I, when I need you, when things go crazy or, you know, when I get to church or whatever, then that'll be the part of my life that you'll have. 
And when Jesus, we feel really good about that again because he's, he's, he's a part of our life. He matters to us. But when this is, this is our view of who Jesus is and what he wants, we keep Jesus out of the other areas of our life. No, Jesus, you've got your own part. You've got the thing that I give you, but I've got control over the rest of my life. These other areas, what I post on social media, that relationship that I'm in, what I do with my money, God, that, Jesus, that's all up to me. So I'm going to be the one that's going to dictate what I do with the rest of my life. You've got your area. And people look at this in our life, and number one, we're selling Jesus short on what he wants of us. But also, too, people in the world are looking at that and going, why do I want anything to do with that? If that's all that Jesus matters is to be stuck in a shelf in one little part of your life, that's not really the faith that changes all that much. And so in all reality, thank you very much, but I'll just kind of live my life without Jesus because I can probably find something greater to fill that area with. In reality... What Jesus wants is to be made the center of our life. Or Jesus is the one that is the most important thing to us. Jesus becomes, in a lot of ways, the toolbox. He becomes our life. And so rather than being stuck in one little section that we give him just to appease him and make him feel like he's got a part of us or to make us feel better about our life, what Jesus wants is to be made the center. What Jesus wants is not just a sliver of control, but Jesus wants the whole thing. And when we allow Jesus to have control, when we live our lives with Jesus at the center, then it doesn't matter what other sections of our life, what other things comprise our life. Jesus is the reason and the mindset and and everything that we think about in that area. So if it comes to money, We're going, Jesus, how can I use the money that you've given me to bless other people to make you known? It no longer becomes about what we want with this, but it becomes about what Jesus wants with this. When it comes to sports or that activity, all of a sudden Jesus, we run out on that field to say, Jesus, I want to bring you glory. I want to make this about you. God, how can I share your goodness with my teammates? God, how can I share your goodness with the other people that are on this team with me? God, how can I make you known by serving you in this area? Social media becomes something where we think, man, God, does this honor you as I post this? Man, God, if I send this out, even though that would make me feel really good, God, does this back up what I say I believe? God, is this the way that you're calling me to live? And Jesus, our relationship with him becomes the filter with which we either post things or we don't post things out there. When it comes to relationships, we look at that relationship and go, God, does this relationship honor you? God, how can we most honor you in this relationship? And if it doesn't honor you, if we're not living the way that you've called us to live, if we're not reflecting who you are, then God, does this relationship need to stay in my life? See, the difference between Jesus being a piece of our life and being the entire thing is a big difference. 
And whereas when Jesus just slides into one little shelf and we feel really good about that, the world looks at that and they go, I don't, I'm not really interested in that kind of faith. But it's the faith that puts Jesus at the center, that makes Jesus known, that dictates every decision that we make based on Jesus. What would you have me do? How can I live in this area? Then all of a sudden the world takes a step back and goes, and tell me more about that. Why is it that Jesus is so important to you? Why do you love him the way that you love him? Why are you making that relationship decision based on what Jesus is asking of you rather than what you want to do? See, it it runs against the culture and the world sits up and they take notice of that when we live that way. And that's the faith that Jesus is calling us to. That's the type of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. Not something that we just slide into one little part, but something that drives and dictates every decision that we make that's a part of every piece of who we are. And you want to look at some examples in the Bible. You think about how what they believed and who they loved impacted how they lived. And you take, for example, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, those crazy named people in the Old Testament who had the choice of either I'm gonna stand up for my faith and I'm gonna live this out or I'm gonna have to bow down to that idol. And what did they do? They chose to stand up for their faith. They looked at the king and the culture and said, we will not bow down to that idol. Our faith matters to us and we can't just hide it inside and and keep it to ourselves. but it dictates the way that we live and we will not bow down to that. And God used that decision to show the people of Babylon that he was who he says he was. When you look at Peter and the disciples, when they were given the choice, either you stop preaching in the name of Jesus or you will be arrested and thrown in jail. And they said, how can we stop preaching about what Jesus has done for us? What we believe is too important. It's too critical for us just to kind of keep it to ourselves. We've got to preach that. We've got to share that. And so they preached louder. And other believers were encouraged by what they did. And there were other people in that area who understood and 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 listen to and receive the good news of what G- who Jesus was. You also can look at the, the negative side of that. When who we love and what we believe doesn't impact how we live. And Peter, the same guy who was bold in Acts chapter four, is also the guy that, what did he do on the night that Jesus was arrested? And those people said, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he denied that he knew Jesus and he gave in to the pressure and he said, no, 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 I don't know, I don't know who he is. And he refused to live out his faith. And not only did it hurt the heart of Jesus, but I can imagine, even though we don't read about it in, in that Bible passage, I can imagine that people were going, man, do I really believe who Jesus is claiming who he is when his own followers are turning their back on him. It had to have had an impact on the crowd in that moment. So it matters how we live, guys. 
And we have the power to either, by the way that we live, draw people, people closer to Jesus or to push them further away. Listen to what 1 Timothy 4.12 says. It says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young, but be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way that you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Verse 16 says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, here's what he says in verse 15. He says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. When you and I choose to live out our faith, when we take our love for Jesus and our love for people and we add to it what we believe and the truth of who God says he is and we live that out, it is countercultural. It runs against the culture. It will always cause people in the world to stop what they're doing and look and say, all right, now that's different. And we can be labeled extreme in a negative way, but we also can be labeled extreme in a good way. In which we radically live out our faith to the point that they stop and they say, that is countercultural. That is different. And being countercultural doesn't mean that we walk around judgmental. It means that we're offering the world a better way. It means that we're bringing good to a culture that desperately needs it. And you and I can confidently live alongside even people who disagree with us. And we can choose to love them like Jesus does. And we can live out our faith. I love how the message version reads Philippians 2.15. Here's what it says. Go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in this squalid, which means poor or broken, and polluted society. Listen to this. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. And carry the life, light-giving message into the night. Man, what could be better than that? What could we possibly give our lives for that could be better than that? I know maybe some of you, you feel like, you know what, man, if I, if I live out my faith, if I try to do what's right, if I try to love Jesus, I mean, you don't understand, like, I, I feel like I'm being left out because I'm not doing some of the things that my friends are doing. And I feel like I'm settling for something that's less than what I could live for. And the way that this verse paints it is such a great picture because it shows the opposite of that. That you and I get a chance to give a fresh breath of air to the world. Can't even say that, it's so amazing. We get a chance to show, just give them a glimpse of good living and of the living God. 
Where there is darkness, we get to shine a light. Where there is hopelessness, we get to provide hope. Where there is pain and sadness, we get a chance to provide something greater. And where there is a world that's walking around wondering if there's anything good, we get to provide a glimpse of good living and of our good father. There's nothing about that that is settling for some secondary life to what our friends are living. But rather we are living out the greatest thing that we could ever make our life about. But we got to live it out. It can't just be something that we talk about. It can't just be something that we keep to ourselves in here. It's got to be something that's lived out out there. Otherwise, it will not make any difference. So we are reckless. People whose actions provide the world with something that's real and valuable. Something that's real, something that's good, something that matters, that carries weight, that has an impact on people that live and exist all around us. So again, what that means is you and I have to be willing to take what happens in here and take it out there. It means that we gather in here together and we worship and we lift up the creator and we declare that God is great. And then we march out of this room and we go back to our houses and we go back to our schools and we worship God to the same extent and we carry that message out there. Starting next week, we're gonna have an an offering that we're gonna do every single week where we're gonna have a chance in this room to be generous to people in the city of Baltimore, in the country of Nicaragua, those people who desperately need God's love. And we get to be generous and give and allow God to use that to impact those people. But then we get to get up and we get to carry that generosity out there. In three weeks, three weeks from tonight, you guys are going to have a chance to sign up to go to Baltimore over winter break or to go to Nicaragua over winter break in three weeks. And that heart and that compassion that we have for those people when we see those pictures or when we hear those stories is not something that is just restricted to a one week trip over winter break. But we take that same compassion and we take it out there. We come in here on a Wednesday night and we learn how to fight for each other in our small groups and how to have each other's backs. And then we take that out there and we start fighting for people that don't have anybody to fight that fights for them. See, in everything we do, it's not about doing it here and keeping it here. It's about doing doing it here and then carrying it out there. We've got to live it out. That's what God is calling us to. How well we love to live in the fact that we are forgiven, to know what we believe, and then to live it out. Everywhere we go, in every situation, not just in pieces of our life, but where we allow God to have free reign in our life and we live every single part of who we are 
to bring God glory. It's time for you and I to be reckless. Let's pray together. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for these students. God, thank you for, God, I pray that over the last four weeks that as we've been talking about these things, God, this would not just be a series that we forget about in a couple weeks or later in the year we're like, hey, what did we really talk about? But God, this is something that we carry with us. God, this matters. This has importance. God, there's an entire community of people that you want to impact and you want to use us and the way that we live to do it. And God, I pray that you would raise up an army of teenagers who go into every part of this community and radically live out their faith. God, I pray that we would not be someone here on a Wednesday night and then be somebody different on Thursday morning in our school campus. I pray, God, that we would not restrict you just to a little piece of our life. But God, we would make you the center in every single part of who we are in every area of our life would be impacted by our love for you and what we believe about you. God, I pray that you would use us this year in incredible ways to provide hope to the hopeless, to provide a light in the darkness. God, to give this community and this world a glimpse of who you are. God, help us as we live out, as we walk around with the name Reckless. God, help it to matter. Help us to live out who you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.